Welcome to We Call It Soccer, a podcast by two United fans. I'm Notch. I'm Colin. And I'm Caleb. This week, we're mixing up our formats a little bit. Don't worry. We still hear everything about the women winning the World Cup, the men losing the Gold Cup, and you still get to hear Peter Snitch say, But the championship is a game. Welcome to We Call It Soccer, your weekly dose of soccer podcasting that usually starts with America's top leagues, but this week, we're going to set that aside to talk about the U.S. women first, then the U.S. men, then maybe Brazil, yeah, maybe, maybe, maybe not. If we have time. Yeah, okay, guess. if we have time, yeah. Yeah. After, after that, and then... We'll give you an overview of where the NWSL and MLS sit table-wise, where we think the team, how we think each of the teams are doing. Uh, I know we usually talk game by game, but we want to mix things up a little bit because it's uh, there's a lot lot to cover. We'll give you some Minnesota United chit chat in there, and maybe maybe the games we'll cover are Minnesota United's game. Is that okay, guys? That's what I prepared for. So yes, yeah, I'm okay. I'm surprised that we're doing our pre-production meeting on mic, but cool. <laughs> it's it's a little behind the scenes, Colin. It's yeah, the, it's so meta. It, it's so what meta. Want. Well, what do they call it? Gonzo journalism? Is that what this is? is I'm are, not. Are, are, are we Gonzo? When I was twenty. Um. Yeah. No. Uh. I mean, <laughs> I'm, I, I'm, I'm definitely. Yeah. I'm not drunk I'm enough. Bear, I'm not drunk enough for this uh, Hunter S. Thompson bullshit right now. So, like, <laughs> you know, you know. Speaking of drunk, the other day I was in Montreal eating poutine, very happy after a couple of beers, and I was thinking to myself, what if the reason that there are so few like ancient scrolls like available. The, the Library of Alexandria burned and all this stuff is because time travelers from the future went back and took them. And otherwise we'd have more. Was there THC in your poutine or your beers? Like, I, I know I it's there. Yeah, like, you have to rub like it in so hard by asking that question. Yeah, like... That's the sort of question that you would ask if you were in like no, Seattle no, no, no. That, that, that's, or Portland. That's not my weekly question. Maybe, this week, maybe in Denver... I want to be clear. That's not my weekly question. You're not obligated to answer it. Caleb's taking the weekly question this week. I am. I am. Uh, so, so July 4th, typically the middle or the really the start of summer. I wondered what for you guys, what is your summer jam this year? What's your summer go-to summer song? Ooh. Got a few of them. I mean, the obvious one, of course, is Juice by Lizzo. Like, okay. That's yeah. like... Blame it on the loons. Gotta blame it on the loons. Close. Yeah, yeah, I, I'm I'm surprised that it yeah, hasn't yeah, taken yeah, off yeah, yet. Yeah, yeah. We'd uh, say it at the Cincinnati game. Yeah. It's been sung like at multiple marches and the capos like it. It's been there, yeah. people trying. It's yeah. it's, it's, a, it's a thing. It's it, starting. It'll it'll happen. Yeah. But yeah. I mean, that's that's like the obvious summer jam right now. I am listening actually to a song called Breakaway by Gallagher and Lyle, which I believe they they recorded I in thought the seventies. Kelly Clarkson. Yeah. No, that, that's no, what I was Gallagher assuming. and Lyle. It's it was a, it's a Art Garfunkel song that they wrote. But their version is far superior to him, and he—they were actually signed to um, Apple Records, the the Beatles yeah, label, yeah, yeah, yeah. and they're really, really like interesting songwriters. But they—they've done a lot of good work. But that this this is a song that appears also in this documentary about the Voyager space probes on Netflix called "The Farthest," which I also recommend everybody watch. But this is a beautiful song called "Breakaway." Listen to it. Listen to the Gallagher and Lion version. All right. Um. 
I have, I have a hard time deciding between two. So I'm just going to do both real quick. One's a driving song that I want to just blare when I have the windows down going way too fast on the highway, which I don't do. Dad, if you're listening, I don't, I drive the speed limit always. Um, it's called, it's a new come down by a plague vendor. Fantastic group. Fantastic uh, song. Yeah. And then the other one is just kind of a, it's, a, it's just a fun song. It's a drunk two by a mannequin pussy. It's a really good song. Okay. I'll play for you at the break. It's really good. Yeah. I, I'm surprised that Notch's eyebrows did not like shoot out of his face when he said mannequin pussy. But... Well, he's texting, so. <laughs> what did we just say about like production notes not being, uh, maybe I'm texting him to shut up, man. I don't know. I got no problems with that kind of stuff. Come on. I, I'm typically, I think, the most body mouth person on yeah. this podcast. Colin's right here. Yeah. <laughs> How the dare fuck you? are you talking about, Notch? I mean, farm animals excluded. <laughs> You know, the next segment was supposed to be keep hope alive, but that doesn't really matter because the hope, hope, the things we were hopeful for well, are gone. No, well, she was there. She was reporting for The Guardian and BBC. She, <laughs> yeah. I, I don't mean, think she's it, like it, in danger. Yeah, she's like, still alive. Keep, no. keep hope alive. Uh, keep Alyssa alive, probably. No, 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 no. Her mission was to keep hope's like publicity career, communications career alive by saying controversial things. That and and basically ripping on the American team, which I kind of I I did appreciate her stuff about how the NWSL should be really afraid of the WSL and the investment that other countries are doing. But otherwise, she was raking a lot of shit very Lala style. But anyway, moving moving on. Uh, let's just call this segment instead of keep hope alive. Let's call it listen to a Crystal Method song for a few seconds. In this segment, we discuss U.S. national teams and their efforts in the World Cup and the Gold Cup. And last week, the U.S. Women's Ninja Turtles, the U.S. WNT, won the World Cup. They made Master Splinter proud. And um, Shredder was defeated. Shredder is Donald Trump, right? Sure. Why not? Okay, yeah. yeah. He's I, more of a bebop guy. Yeah, I think so. Or that rock steady and bebop. Yeah. <laughs> the was the rhino, the fat one. <laughs> um, it's rock steady. Yeah. So anyway, I think it was, yeah. Oh, all right. First of all, I'm going to start in Hope Solo controversial Lala's fashion by saying credit to Jalelis made changes. And you know what? She is now the first U.S. coach to win back-to-back World Cups. No, no, no. Hold on. What changes did she make that weren't the result of people pulling hamstrings? Uh, benching Lindsay Horan for no apparent reason. Probably the, arguably the best midfielder in the world. So that she could come on against a more tired side late on? Seems like that makes a lot of sense to me. Um, I don't think that was the... She changed the formation, too, for the final a little bit. She tweaked it. Also, Julie Ertz falling back into the uh, back line towards the end of games. I mean, there there are a lot of people saying, like, oh, the tactics, blah, blah, blah. Also, think about the fact that this is a women's team that is arguably the most controversial sportsman in America, other than Colin Kaepernick in it. It has a major lawsuit against the Federation going right now, signed on to by all the players... It has the president of the United States throwing shit on one of their players. And they're still a cohesive, tight-knit group that seems like they all get along. And they won. 
despite all of that. If anything, the controversy around the team made them stronger. Yeah. And really bad for all the people, all the detractors. But that's not a given. That's not something that no, obviously happens. And you got to give the coach credit for that. Yeah. Yeah. Then you also have to give the players who executed all the more credit. I think I think when people are saying that this team could have won the World Cup with or without Jill Ellis, it's probably an overstatement. But you also have to realize that the mental fortitude of this team came from the personalities that were brought together. Some of that does come down to Jill Ellis picking these teams, getting really, like, aside from the entire run-up, suddenly they turned into a cohesive, like, 15-person rotation. Like, that is definitely Jill Ellis's working. But all of those personalities came in as fully formed players, as kind of that delightfully cocky bunch some of that just does boil down to them. Like you don't, oh, you don't yeah, coach yeah, Megan yeah, Rapino yeah, 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 yeah. to be Megan Rapino as a person. You don't coach Alex Morgan to be Alex Morgan as a person. What? What? Well, I would, well okay. You you, yeah. you do get to deflect their personalities. Though I've seen individuals be really toxic outside of the presence of a mentor. Calm the hell down, and and I shouldn't say talk like like exhibit kind of toxic behavior in the locker room kind of situation teams can kind of when, when you're working with teams whether it's in, in a sport or otherwise they can kind of go off the rails if you don't have the right person kind of guiding the discussions and bringing them together for sure and so i didn't mean to say like take it away from the players the players did all the work yes but i'm just saying this there's a lot of like jill ellis is the worst human being and i'm overstating that now yeah but this is a huge success for her and i i want to give her the credit because she pulled it through, and it's we've seen with a with a with the Crab Rave team this year that getting the best player in South America's um the uh, what was the tournament Copa America no, no Copa no, Lib- no, no. Copa Libertadores oh. sorry oh right brain fart yes. there the Copa Libertadores that, player that team that we'll talk about in a little bit yeah getting 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 them and having. Um, the lineup that won the Division One title last year doesn't guarantee continued success. You can have a toxic locker room the very next year that's struggling to be competitive. And so I just... Anyway, I'm yeah. belaboring the point now. Yeah. I just wanted to give Jill Ellis some credit. Yeah. Let's now move on to talking oh, about yeah. those amazing players. Tons of credit needs to go to Jill Ellis for channeling the energy of these amazing players into some fantastic performances on the field. Um, Megan Rapino fantastic over the last few games. Um, you could say that her performance just getting a, two penalties. Oh, she only scored two penalty kicks. Oh, no. She was fantastic throughout the entire knockout stage. Definitely deserved the golden ball. Deserved the golden boots. Rose Lavelle in that final was absolutely electric, which, surprise, surprise, it's Rose Lavelle. Like... I'm really glad that Lavelle is the breakout star of this tournament, by the way. Like, Megan Rapino, she was enough of a megastar already. People now know who Rose Lavelle is, and I think that's going to be even better as a, like, playing role model, just the things that she can do on the field. If players want to aspire to be great at soccer, 
They should look at Rose Lavelle. They should look at her ball control. They should look at her passing. They should look at the way that she does business on the field and emulate it as much as possible. Yeah, and Roosevelt with the only Dolphin open play in this in the final, which was very well taken. As soon as she made that dribble, like she's gonna shoot. Yeah. Well, why is no one stepping up to her? And she did it brilliantly on her left foot. Um, it's like they didn't know that she was left footed. <laughs> Apparently, they didn't. I didn't know she was left footed until she shot that. Uh, Megan Rapinoe with a penalty kick. Um, the penalty was given after uh, uh, yeah. defender kicks Alex Morton in the shoulder. Uh, cleats high. Um, nowhere near the ball. High boot, if anything. I mean, There's it, people online saying it wasn't a penalty. Those people are wrong, and they should like <laughs> they should read the rules. So by the rules, by the law of the game, that is a penalty. Yeah, like kicking somebody in the shoulder. That is not legal play. She went down too easy. She got kicked in the shoulder with cleats. Yeah. Let's do that to you and see how you used to hold up in the box. So, so the penalty... Yeah, appropriate and absolutely. I was glad that they got another goal though because yeah. if you know yeah. it would have just been the if, penalty it would have been oh more of the internet would have been oh they shouldn't have they didn't deserve to win but like, no. they did they were the better team for sure uh, Netherlands goalkeeper who Arsenal yeah. released at the end of the last season because they can't do anything right so um, fucking dumb <laughs> had the game of her life in the first half she was fantastic and it could have been honestly four or five goals for the US if it wasn't for yeah, and I for, I'm forgetting her name right Sorry, now. Sorry, Van Verendal. That it is. You gotta also appreciate the fact this is probably the most open World Cup final we have seen in a long, long time. Oh yeah, yeah, of course. The US um, had scored within 12 minutes of the game starting in every single game until the final. Yeah. The defense by the Dutch was fantastic, and again by uh, Sari and Dole was it was everything they, everything they could do to. From scoring they did in the first half, just in yeah. hold up. It, hold it, up was, it was it was end to end. It was nerve wracking for all the fans involved, and I I can't remember the last time I watched a tournament final. And I'm trying. I'm like trying to rack my brains right now. I mean, the f- last year's France Croatia game was exciting, but you never really thought like yeah. Croatia was really gonna win the game until. Like the last five minutes when Larissa said that howler. Yeah, it's I, I feel like it's it's one of those kind of this game, the whole 90 minutes, I feel like were pretty exciting. I, I do think it might have just been that I was listening to it for the last about 20 or so minutes. It did feel a little bit like the gas was taken off. There was maybe a little less expectation that the Netherlands was really going to punch their way back into it. But, you know, certainly for the first 70 or so minutes you didn't know if the united states was really going to be able to just get into that next gear to close the game out you know credit to the netherlands for how well they played in this final yeah uh let's see anything else we need to reflect on in this tournament um ali krieger making more of an impact i think than any of us could have predicted before the tournament given the way that she entered the um, the team at kind of like a very unexpected addition. Yeah. Um, and especially in the final with Kelly O'Hara going down with uh, concussion symptoms, which and remaining until the end of the half, which should have never happened. That no. absolutely should not have happened. I mean, have. you know, I understand a- that some people began to ex- exhibit symptoms a little bit after a head injury, but you know, regardless, get her off the field. What are you doing? Anyway. Uh, 
Krieger coming on in the second half and just locking down the flank. That was that was a clutch performance from her. There's really no one that I can point to in that final that came out with a bad game. Yeah. Really. And- like and that that I think was my knock on the US women this entire World Cup that aside maybe from Thailand where they weren't really pressured that much it did seem like there was one or two players in each game that weren't up to the same level and they were brought along by two or three players having the games of their lives. I want to also give a shout out to Crystal Dunn who was playing out of position and I think got a lot of stick from a lot of people in some of the previous games. Personally, I feel undeserved. I feel like she no. worked really hard. She's out of position and she she did give a lot going forward. This team's Weakest area was its defense, but it more than made up for it going forward. Oh, and exactly, you can say that you know Crystal Dunn was fantastic in the in the knockout stages against yeah tougher th- competition. Also, saying that this team had had a weakness in the, at the back, they only conceded three goals all tournament. Like I said, it was the weakest part of the team. I didn't yeah. say it was yeah. a weakness. Well, people were saying I, that going. To, people were saying that going to the tournament that oh, Nair and Goal, not Hope Solo. She's going to be, you know, we don't really mean, know much about her. Done at left fast going to be, you know, people are going to attack her on like, her side. It, all, if all her goes down, it's like, later, you know. Watching a lot of NWSL, I was worried about Crystal Dunn at left back. Seeing the great performances that she puts in at forward for the courage. And then some of the indifferent performances coming into the World Cup, yeah, it was a concern. Alyssa Nair, very good on her best day. She does have a tendency for a couple of howlers that she did show in some of these warm-up games. So, yeah, there were enough reasons to be concerned about the defense for the United States. They came through in this World Cup in a huge way. I'm going to use that, actually, your mention of friendlies as a segue to talking about the men as well. But just in general, I think both of these teams, for me, have shown the total lack of value of making broad or even strong judgments based on friendlies. Friendlies are just not meaningful games. Things happen that coaches are doing things we don't know. They're trying things we don't really know what they're doing. Um, players are just have so much going on in their heads uh, in terms of not wanting to screw up their clubs by getting injured, not wanting to screw up their tournament. It's just, I don't think you can do anything at a friendly other than just be like, huh, there's some soccer happening. That was a great goal. That was fun to watch. And that's it. You, you just, yes, I'm not saying don't be disappointed that your f- team lost a friendly, but you can't, the, the teams, I think, rise above their friendly form, except with both of the U.S. national teams. Something bad happens in friendly, and everyone's like, literally, Hitler was on the sidelines. All the players were like Goebbels and, you know, like Mussolini. And, you know, like, it's like, no, relax, y'all. Just let's see what happens in the tournament. And if they have a bad tournament, criticize them. But it was a friendly. You know what I mean? Counterpoint, aside from the whole Hitler and Goebbels stuff. Yeah, that was um, a lot feel, wasn't it? Yeah. Kind of right field, I think, but um, <laughs> but it, I do think, at least for the U.S. women, it, given the fact that national team performances are what they're most judged on, the fact that much of their, frankly, much of their play in a given year 
just with how many games the U.S. women's team plays, you know, that is their most visible appearance. That is their most visible work that they do on the field. Uh, sure, I would argue some of those points, but I'm not. I'm going to choose not to because I want to move on. But I will say that uh, producer Nick is telling me move on, so I'm going to move on. All right, <laughs> okay. Uh, let's talk about the the Gold Cup final. Uh, Mexico one, U.S. Na- men's Ninja Turtles uh, zero. How about that? Yeah, uh, everything to- sucks. Totally predictable result. Everything is terrible. So what, I it was don't like, like it. Pull part on the sidelines, Stalin and Lenin and all these guys like playing uh, for the U.S. Yeah, that's. Um, Did they switch eligibility or? Yeah, like I'm not sure. Yeah. <laughs> so 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 okay. The better team won. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, 100%. And not that the U.S. didn't have their chances. Pulisic had a chance early on. Althor probably had the best chance of the game and just dropped it with his left foot. Yeah. Paul uh, Ariola had a guilt-edged chance, had Memo Ochoa off his line, shanked it. Yeah. And I loved the, the the fact that Michael Bradley had the ball in like the 92nd minute or whatever and gave it away like Belgium style. Like just like straight up pass to the Mexican players. <laughs> Yeah, and I don't going into the tournament. You know, a gold. If you told me we'll lose Mexico in the final, that's like yeah, that's yeah. what we should strive for because I don't know how this team's going to play in the Grand Bear Halter. And we played really well throughout the tournament until the final. We met yeah. probably the best team, and, the best team on the con- on the continent. And, and truth be told, for a lot of that game, it did feel like if the U.S. took one of those chances and made something out of it, they could have gotten the momentum and won the game. But when you're third and final sub when you need a goal is Daniel Lovitz for Tim Ream at left back, you just, you just <laughs> like, what made, is happening? That made no fucking I sense. I was having a fever dream. Maybe maybe he was just like remember that Lovitz guy in the wedding singer? He was charismatic. He like He'll charm the Mexican defense to letting a goal in. Right. And then he was as wrong as that. Yeah, when bit. you have yeah. uh Tyler Boyd on the bench not Tyler Boyd. Yeah. Tyler Boyd, I said it yes. right this time. Awesome. He did. Perfect. He got his name also, right. Also, 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 Daniel Lovitz's performance, as good as uh, John Lovitz's character's performance in The Wedding Singer, too. So okay. didn't, didn't didn't really get the, you know, kind of messed up there. Yeah. Well, when you have a yeah. pacer winner on the on the bench like Tyler Boyd, who can come in and use his pace to, to attack a tired Mexican defense, you don't put him on. You got to wonder what is going through Dead Barrel's head. Right. The substitution. Yeah. I mean, the idea apparently was to push the wingers even further forward and have a like lockdown left back there, which that doesn't make sense no. given so, that your winger was Christian Roldan. Okay. Yeah. So, so big picture question for you guys. This was a USA B plus team or B team, you think? B plus. B plus. I would yeah. say. So is it any surprise that Mexico's B team, a country with so much of a deeper player pool, is better than America's B team? No, no. absolutely not. Yeah. I just think so, it's a little disappointing because we had those chances early on and yeah. didn't take them. So exactly. it could have been a, either a yeah. draw or... And Mexico's goal was well taken. just kind of came out of this really well-worked team play to Jonathan Dos Santos and was scoring a great ball over Zach Steffen. Um, I don't think Stephanie even moved on the play. It was just that good of a shot. Yeah, there and there wasn't anything they could do. do. And you know, going forward, you looked at this team. I looked at this game. It's like, well, we played 
pretty well for about 60 minutes against the best team in Tottenham with a mishmash of players with a coach that was, hasn't coached that long. The future is, it needs some work, but we're on the right track, I think. I will say that my favorite part of this tournament has been Christian Pulisic's complete, I feel like relentless anger. I think I, I see yeah, just an angry just, boy, just yeah. just like energy driving him forward and just this desire to like conquer everything. But um, any other final points on the men? Um, should we talk about what happened between Massimo Tenny and Andres Rodado? Or the coach was just letting everything go. He didn't want to pull a the card, rough. and I, I, I thought, I, yeah, that was... Greg Verhalter was letting everything go at the end. I agree, and so was Tata Martino. He said the coach. It's the ref. Did I say that? You yeah, did. you oh, did. Oh, oh, oh. I, <laughs> yeah. I meant, I meant that. Ref. That's why we made fun of you for it. Okay, because we okay, love thanks. you. That's why. That's our love language is teasing. Well, yeah. okay, okay. Let, let me, let me, let me teasing go. and harassment. <laughs> let, let, let me go all uh, hope solo lalas scandal mongering here. I mean, what else do you expect? The ref was wearing green, huh? Like that. That was exactly what he did. And you know what? Like, um, you had. Uh, I'm trying to think of some other obscure murders dictators that I can like place on the refs line. You know? but, um, um, Pinochet. Yeah, you had Pinochet in the center <laughs> with like um, uh, Idi Amin running assistant ref. In, in all seriousness, I'm, Idi Amin running as an assistant ref. Like I could see him as a fourth official, but he's not running as, anywhere. No, he's not running anywhere. But in all seriousness, Andres Rodado should have been sent off for that. Yeah, he had that his hand around Osimhen's neck. The Mexican defender, who, I don't forget his name, who took down Josie Altador and then kneed him in the back and landed uh, his forearms and upper body on his head. While he was facing on the ground, also should have been sent off. It was just ridiculous. That and the ref was staring right at the the Vader hold. Like it wasn't like I don't understand what he was doing and why that wasn't a red card. Yeah. And just more lost his head. There should have been consequence for that. And he tried to find it on Weston McKenney's neck. All right, with that, I'm gonna segue us using the fact that that could have been caught if VAR was present. VAR very much present in the Copa America. Typically, we talk about this in a different segment, but I'm just going to move straight into this game because we're running kind of long. Brazil winning the Copa America. Uh, any opinions? Shock. Shock. Angry no. red no. sash noises? No, just, you know, no. sarcastic shock noises. Yeah. I mean, Brazil are easily the class of South America right now. That's... I mean, that shouldn't have even been in dispute before this tournament. They have the best goalkeeper in the world. Um, he had, what, 11 clean sheets for a club and country and going into this game. The goal he conceded was a penalty. Like, ah, oh, he's so good, guys. He's so good. Again, with this really season, it's going to be great. So, uh, Brazil winning despite a player being sent off. Yeah, uh, Gabriel uh, Jesus scored a goal, assisted a goal, and now sent off the uh, Gordie Howe hat trick. In soccer, <laughs> which is unheard of nowadays. Um, I didn't see what got him sent off, but he was very upset by it. And But Brazil held on to win and really wasn't that, a, that bit of a surprise. Peru, I think, was a surprise to make the final. Oh, yeah, they played really well in this tournament. Yeah, yeah, credit to them. Um, but it, it happened the exact way that everyone expected, especially with Brazil and Argentina facing off in the semi. All right, thank you. And with that, it's time for us to take a break. We shall return with Domestic League Talk. 
Welcome back to We Call It Soccer. It's time now for us to move into our segment that we call The Championship. But the championship is a game. Thanks, producer Nick. Appreciate you always being ready to do that segment drop. Is it a game? Is it a league? No, it's a segment when we discuss the America's top leagues, the NWSL and MLS. First up, NWSL gets some sponsorship. Yeah, some big ones. Um, the league announced kind of a game of the week partnership with ESPN. Um, ESPN News and ESPN2 are going to be broadcasting at least one game every week, um, 14 games in total. Um, it's big. It, it's They finally have a national level TV deal the year of the World Cup. And before this, they were just on uh, Yahoo Sports. Right. So this is a much bigger platform, um, much bigger viewership. And I know that ESPN is trying to ride the wave of the World Cup, the popularity it has had in this in the States. But hopefully they continue that and sign them for a full season next year. Yeah. That'd be and, fantastic. Yeah. And the belief is basically they're going to see how this season finishes up, what sort of ratings they can get. And then use that as a springboard for either ESPN buying the rights for the full season or possibly NWSL looking for a bigger bid from like NBC Sports, Fox, BN. Yep. There's there's enough interest in women's soccer right now that the TV rights might actually, you know, get some value for the league. This isn't going to make a difference though unless the league u.s soccer and the network itself puts the marketing into it just getting something onto tv doesn't guarantee it eyeballs you need to be able to create especially for a sport you need to be able to create a sense of lifestyle a sense of like commitment um and that takes money and talented people putting themselves forward and i think this is where i want to see what happens i'm I'm remaining hopeful that that is the course that occurs but yep. another big note out of this is that nwsl's media and arm really took a hit with a and e leaving the um ownership. what you said a annie almost so i just wanted to clarify a and e yes um so with them pulling out of their ownership stake in the league that made a huge dent in the money that was behind their media arm, their sponsorship arm. They've started to restaff that. So I would expect them to at least have people to start leveraging those sponsorships very quickly. The other thing that happened, and uh, I want to move past this particular thing to talk a little bit on bigger conversation about sponsorships and pay and things like that in women's soccer, is that um, Budweiser had a separate deal to be the official beer sponsor and title sponsor of the NWSL playoffs, and the MVP trophy took out a full-page spread in the New York Times to advertise their sponsorship. Um, Hope Solo, as I mentioned before, talked a little bit about the fact that the NWSL and and the U.S.'s dominance as a result of the, the league existing um, is threatened by the fact that it, it, the NWSL has a pretty shaky financial foundation right now and the fact that I think she also pointed to how the WSL is seeing a lot of investment in it. We've talked about this on the pod for, since last year. I, I want to mention that some of the investment in European leagues comes from mega clubs in Europe who are able to take 
their millions or billions or whatever and put it into their women's team. And I think a lot of people here in the US use that as an excuse of saying, well, it means it's hard and it's difficult. But you got to remember, US soccer has experience in propping up an unpopular league with a small number of teams in a sport that does not get a lot of eyeballs naturally. There should be experienced people who can handle the situation. And the NWSL needs to get those people, recruit those kind of Lamar Hunt types who are able to use this as a project of passion. There are people out there who buy the rights to buildings, buy like $500 million yachts or whatever it is. You need to convince those folks to come out here and invest because the interest is there. It's just that it's not it comes every four years and, and you need you need the the kind of the marketing, the sponsorship, the consistent. Someone's got to be willing to lose money on this for, a con, for an extended period of time. I mean, as fans of a team in Minnesota that consistently we wondered if it was going to exist each year as fans of teams in a league that we doubted would exist and ultimately did fold right after we left it. it NWSL and its shaky finances are an existential concern. And I think it is a, at least part of the calculation for a lot of these businesses that say, I don't know if I want to invest in it. I know that there's the interest there, but if I'm going to be the first mover, what's guaranteeing that I'm not going to lose everything on this investment? There needs to be people that are willing to say, you know what, this is important. I'm willing to lose five, ten million a year on this team. Yeah, and unfortunately, that hasn't existed for women's sports in the United States. Yeah, it's 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 a it's a concern that is coming up against multiple societal issues. But my my argument would be, this has been something U.S. soccer has overcome before. And it's not something that is. is I'm, I'm trying to say that this isn't yeah. is, that this isn't a fait accompli. Some people are just using this as like, well, that's the way it is. We're screwed. And I'm saying it's not. It doesn't have to be that way. And it's gonna take somebody to make those those pitches to the billionaires and millionaires, um, and get someone to sign on. Rocco Camiso is fucking holding onto the Cosmos. Who are? I mean, do you think that they're gonna? Ricardo Silva and Miami FC. Do you think that either of those two teams is going to result in anything in the near near term? But both uh, those guys have just pumped inane, insane amounts of money yeah, um, in, into sinking ships. Yeah, I mean, I, I will say for Camiso, it's a little bit different because of how much merch he can sell with the Cosmos name on it. it Miami FC, I think, is a very good model of just pumping that money in knowing that there isn't going to be immediate or even potential return out of it. And it's going to take time. Yeah. But but we, we need those experienced folks to, 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 to make this happen. Um, any points, Caleb, you want to make on U.S. women's national team pay? They deserve equal pay. They did more revenue. The U.S. women's soccer kit, I don't... As was the most was the highest selling kit on Nike's website, I think all year. Yes. Um, 
they did the revenue. They did the commercially. They're successful. The World Cup final had more viewers, and the Gold Cup final had more viewers than the last year's World Cup final. Um, the eyes are on them. The money's going through them. They deserve equal pay with the men, and so do the women's national teams of every nation. Deserve equal pay with the men's, their men's national teams. Um, it's a weird situation because the women's national team here, they're they're def they're it's not even a question. They're better. They're more successful than the men's national team, and they will be for a while. All the trophies are going to come through them, and they deserve to be compensated as such. Okay. And yeah, yeah, yeah. I I do want to mention this basic point. There's a lot of arguments as to what equal pay looks like for the women's national team, given the fact that because they're successful, they have more likelihood to get bonuses that because they're successful, it's possible that more companies are going through U S soccer and investing in the Federation because of the access to the women's team rather than the men's team. All of those things are immaterial to just the basic moral imperative to pay women the same that men receive. I think the complicating factor that you alluded to, though, is that there are two different CBAs that complicate the matter. I think the one thing I will comment on that is that um, also those two CBAs are structured very differently. So it's, it's a complicated issue. I think the one thing that is very clear, though, is that U.S. soccer is hiding behind the World Cup FIFA and the World Cup bonuses that FIFA gives out. And I think it behooves U.S. soccer to make up for the discrepancy. You can't hide behind, ah, oh, there's a sexist organization over there. Ah, what are we going to do? Yeah. Yeah, FIFA, uh, the, you know, legendarily feminist organization of FIFA exactly. is going to pay. No. Yeah. Be, be it, the change you want to see in the world. Yeah. And never mind the fact that we're not getting prize money from the Men's World Cup. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> Remember, that happened last year. So this is this is something that I think needs to get taken care of. So uh, let's let's move on to talk about the NWSL uh, league rankings right now. We've got the Seattle Rain kind of unexpectedly in the top spot um, after eleven matches played by most of the teams. The Orlando Pride overachievers played twelve, but uh, Utah's only played ten, and so is Sky Blues. Um, Seattle, I think, are going to benefit. In particular, from Megan Rapino coming back after World Cup duty. At the same time, they also just lost Jess Fishlock again. Um, is going to be out, ACL, yeah, right? rest of the year with yeah. torn ACL. Um, so definitely sending good vibes to her. She was on fire throughout June in her comeback. So it's it's definitely galling. But the one thing that really sticks out to me here in this table is that the top six teams are separated by six points. Uh, Rain. With 20 and first, and then and sits to the Red Stars at 14. That's a very slim margin, and really any of those six teams could be first by the end of the season. Yeah, it's three points to fifth. That's that's how close this this league is right now. And Utah Royals, who are in fifth, have a game in hand, and yes, they could go top with a win. Yeah. It uh, should also be mentioned that North Carolina FC's form did shift a bit. 
after the World Cup started or the, the their players were called up. So yeah. that, that yeah. could also lead to a shift for the second place team. Um, but also they had a couple losses in there, but they adjusted really well. And in their last five, they've won three. So yeah. also it's important to point out that North Carolina FC is a men's team. We're talking about the North Carolina Courage. Yeah, the we men's team is, the men's team is uh doesn't have any courage. They're the Cowardly Lions. Yes. Uh Portland Thorns and Washington Spirit in third and fourth place. Washington Spirit, I think, are a little bit of a surprise outfit. Um especially you called it two years ago. I, I know I did. I <laughs> like just do whatever I predict, but do it two years late and you're gonna be fine. Um, I think that is a team that with Lavelle coming back in with a lot of confidence from the World Cup, I would assume that they're going to continue to work their way up the table. Um, Utah has looked very dangerous at times. It is worrying that you've got the Orlando Pride and you've got Sky Blue FC propping up the table, um, both of whom won this week, by the way, which is shockingly <laughs> Sky Blue's money getting, that. You made a lot of money. Sky Blue's getting their first win of the year. Orlando getting their second. Yeah. Uh, Orlando, they have underachieved a lot this year. They have Marta. They have Alex Morgan. You could... Listen there. Listen there as well. They they could definitely... Oh, Ashlyn Harris. Oh, oh, yeah. Yeah, God. The other doorkeeper. Yeah. That's my bad. I'm so sorry. It happens. It, yeah. Um, you could definitely see them make strides up the table quickly sky blues i don't know what we can do about them well then the prize defense has been the problem this season not their scoring but uh yeah sky blue the what you did do to them is get them a new owner yes yes definitely that should also give shout to mitch purse who leads the june team of the week for nwsl she's i think particularly among the folks who did not head to the world cup she's kind of excelled in this in this uh time period here where, where the stars were off and really shown what she's uh, capable of. So um, that's pretty cool. Let's now quickly talk about uh, Minnesota United in a sub-segment that we call Don't Look Back in Anger. Minnesota United coming out of the last week with uh, nine points. How? This doesn't happen unless I'm playing with them on FIFA. What's happening here? I'm very confused. Yeah, it's it's really exciting and uh, kind of scary. So <laughs> a 3-1 against San Jose midweek. Um, two goals to three against Montreal away from home after conceding a goal 35 seconds into the game. Not you're at this game. How did you feel 35 seconds in? Ah shit! Here we go again. Uh, that that was that was basically it. And then Mason Toy got equalizer. I I was just gonna say that's a lot more coherent than I thought you would have been feeling. Uh, yes, Mason Toy with an excellent game. I almost have him as the number one striker for this I mean, team right I'm, now. You're saying his name wrong. It's future U.S. Men's National Team star, Mason Toy. <laughs> Who moved closer to the training ground so he could train more and be more committed to the team. It's showing. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, he's he got his physicality right over the offseason. Came in definitely in shape. Over the last few weeks, he's really figured out how to time his runs 
what to look for to open himself up for passes from Kevin Molino, potentially in the future from Darwin Quintero. Yeah. It's exciting to see a young player figure it out in real time. For him, it's, it seems like all he had needed to do was see the ball go in the net. Without having the, that's Houston that you're still on top. And ever since then, he's been playing with a newfound confidence. Yeah. You just need to see that happen and say, oh, I can do this at this level. And he has been, and he's been fantastic. Um, and Jeff Reuter's uh, The Morning Loon article on The Athletic, uh, 12 Mason Toys, I'm going to paraphrase here, but he said that, oh, Kevin, told, Kevin Molino told me to to do make those bad shoulder runs that he made all game, and which both of those goals were scored. Yeah. Kevin told him that before the game, so I don't know what Molino was seeing at Montreal or what, at the game tape, but he knew that it would be open. And those touches on Mace, by Mason to control the ball and each of those goals were fantastic. The first one was with his upper thigh. Mm-hmm. Just second one, ridiculous. Second one, he just perfectly deadened it. It, it yeah. was like I've only seen Marcelo do that. And he plays for Real Madrid. <laughs> I know, I know. All aboard the mission to play train. He's the greatest striker in the world. Yes, indeed. <laughs> also, all of these results happening while uh, people who said that are or or the player who people said was our best signing of the year, Roman Metinier, has been absent with Madagascar. Also pulling some great moves over there. But um, I want to argue again that the signing of the season has been Vito Manone. Because even in the Montreal game, in the San Jose game, the man has pulled some incredible moves to keep us in the the game. The San Jose game really was on a knife's edge until we scored the third goal. And the only reason we're on that knife's edge was because Vito Manone had some amazing saves. Yeah, Yeah, it it was... You look at some of the advanced metrics on that game, the amount of shots that San Jose was getting on target against Vito really San Jose probably should have won if it wasn't for him making all of those important stops. Um, Montreal, again, you know, you can't really fault Vito just for those two goals. In particular, the first goal was just a complete defensive breakdown 35 seconds in. And that's going to be hard without Ozzy Alonso protecting the defense. He was right. Uh, re- the Montreal game was a rest and lineup. Um, I think seven new starters from yes. the San Jose game. Um, so in your opinion, guys, what was the most impressive win? The Montreal game or the San Jose game? Both teams relatively informed. San Jose re- really a different team than when we last played them early in the year. Montreal, away from home, uh, conceding twice to go down and then pulling out the win in front of fans that I can share were really loud. So it... Uh, Hundred percent. I this is not of that that victory. I would not in a million years have expected this year. Um, I gotta say San Jose. I mean, I I know I wasn't at Stad Saputo. I understand that, but you look at the form that they came in with, beating Houston, beating the Galaxy, drawing against Dallas, drawing against DC away, beating Toronto away, San Jose is a transformed team. They figured it out under Matias Almeida. They play a very different style than anyone else in MLS. The fact that you had guys like Michael Boxel and Michael Parra figuring out ways to really trouble their defensive marking scheme, it, yep. it, it was one of the few times that I legitimately thought you, that Minnesota out tacticked you, team. You, you saw our A team go up against a good team and get a win. I saw us playing our B team against 
a team that hadn't played midweek. This is a B team that has played two games back-to-back in extremely hot conditions. And it wasn't very cool in Montreal either. It was pretty hot there too. Uh, Not as hot as over here, but that Sunday was actually quite cool uh, in 78 degrees. So, uh, fair enough. I mean, it's all academic, but I would argue that the the B team aspect also shows that the U.S. Open Cup is a priority. So I'm looking forward to tomorrow's game. Oh, Listeners absolutely. will probably so happy. know yeah, what has happened there by the time they yeah. listen to this. So, but, uh, speaking of knowing what happened there, um, rumors are that uh, by the time that you hear this podcast, there might be an article out on E Pluribus Lunum scouting out a new signing for Minnesota United. Go check that out. Colin's writing it. All right. Uh, I've already written it. It's done. You know who he signed? Permit me to intrude. I know. that on the soundboard. He's going to sign in two years. Whenever I predict something, it happens in two years. We know (laughs) the spirit. This guy is going to sign for us in uh, 2021. And I can't wait until uh, Aaron Ramsey... Signs for Minnesota United in two years. Oh my god! How happy I, would you be? I I don't think I would be able to live after that. Like <laughs> I I would have a heart attack, and the smile on my face would keep me from being able to breathe. I know we said we'd talk about the MLS table, which we should probably do at some point, but it's getting pretty late. So, do you guys want to talk about any particular matches this week from um, MLS? If I may, like just to- really quick about a signing that the Columbus Columbus crew made, uh, Eloy Room, the Tirasau. Goalkeeper who had a fantastic goal cup of place for used to play for PSV Eindhoven in the Eredivisie in the Netherlands. Uh, signed for the true uh, great replacement for Zach Steffen as he moves his way to England, then to Germany. Yes, um, um, officially signed for 14 Dusseldorf yeah. on loan. Um, I, I'm just really upset that they're not going to play here for like two years because I've got a lot of Tommy Wiseau lines set but, up for him. In all seriousness, great signing for the crew. Uh, you don't want uh, Joe Bennett as your starting goalkeeper. <sighs> yeah, it hurts. Yeah. And we, yeah. don't, we don't know what games you want to talk about now, so why don't you just go ahead and get over with. Uh, Please, sh- for God's sake, keep your pants on. <laughs> <laughs> I think I actually put in the my notes, house. Put it away, Notch. Put it away. It's my Bad house. Notch. Bad. Is uh, producer Nick also HR? <laughs> sure. <laughs> <Not> to him. <laughs> uh, should mention that uh, Chicago Fire beat Atlanta United five-one midweek. Before Atlanta United then drew uh, the New York Red Bulls three-three. They also drew that game after Joseph Martinez th- scored what he thought was the game winner in the ninety-first minute, only to have it canceled out by BWP. It was gorgeous. just moments later. Ah. It was beautiful and uh, it was should much also, sweeter. Yeah. Should also mention Pity Martinez drama this week as Frank De Boer subbing him off and saying we need 11 players on the pitch who i'm paraphrasing but 11 players on the pitch who are going to put in effort so yes whoops yeah uh rumors um, coming out that he might be sent off on loan somewhere but frank DeBoer saying it's nonsense hey now mm-hmm. you're an all-star on go play yeah yeah we should also mention um chicago's big announcement today um the Fire and the Village of Bridgeview announced a amended version of their lease at SeatGeek Stadium that basically allows them to not play at SeatGeek Stadium after as soon as 2020, or as soon as the 2019 season is over, paving the way for them to pay $60 million over the life of this lease to play in a football stadium in downtown Chicago. 
I mean, I'll say that Soldier Field isn't a horrible place to play, but like, uh, those I mean, those blimp shots looked real pretty during the Gold Cup. At the same, you won't time, see any shots like that in fire games. But no, I mean, I was gonna say at the same time, I'm I'm not. There's no good solution here other than you know destroy a bunch of hipster housing on the north side and build a stadium. So. Yeah, anyway. fuck the hipsters. So let's do that. LAFC beat Vancouver 6-1. Just give them a shout out before we move on. Um, let's now, before we finish the show, move on to a segment that we call Confessions. Where Colin confesses all he knows and you should forget. Watch this. These are my confessions. Just when I thought I said all I can say, my shit on the side so she got so, as we mentioned with these games at Soldier Field, um, one of the big talking points with the Gold Cup final is that the United States seem to be playing in an away atmosphere with a large contingent of fans of the Mexican national team uh, making it out for this Gold Cup final. Um, this led a lot of mouth breathers on the internet to complain that we shouldn't be playing these games in uh, cities with a large immigrant population. However, I think there's a little bit more to why the United States just has to play Mexico in some of these bigger venues in cities like Chicago, L.A., um, outside of New York, for instance, the reason is very, very simple. The draw that the Mexican national team can have is actually what powers U.S. soccer. Yes, that's right, everyone. Do we remember Soccer United Marketing? Or should I say Dollar Sign United Marketing? Guess who their other biggest client is other than U.S. soccer? The Chicago Cubs. It is actually the Mexican national team. Oh, I was totally off. I'm sorry. So close. So close. But it, in all seriousness, uh, Saki United Marketing's client list includes booking all of these Mexican national team games. They recognize that the Mexican national team is a huge draw for American audiences. So guess what? In order to pay for us shills... In order to pay for MLS to exist, we have to acquiesce to the fact that the Mexican national team is the real driver of funds going into Soccer United marketing. I hate to say it, guys. It's not even that Illuminati stuff. I was really hoping for it. I've I've looked for those links for so long. It's just as simple as like actual ticket prices oh, yeah, and I'm tickets sold. Disappointed in you. I'm... I'm incredibly disappointed. Like I, I, you cannot underestimate how disappointing it was for me to learn that it really was just all about the dollar signs for dollar sign United marketing. You know what I like about that? It's just like slightly plausible. I enjoy those ones from you. So uh, you're welcome. Yeah. Um, with that, we should tell everybody where they can find us on Twitter. I'm at K Olson seven one six. Also, right. Well, I wrote a book, kind of, a little bit. Helped write a book. A lot uh, of it. Complete, complete Darkness, 2018. It's sitting right there on the, table. on the table. You can read my uh, game recaps from last season. Also, my bio, which I totally forget to say. I'm a 
co-host on this podcast. That's pretty Asshole. cool. I totally Good forgot. job, man. Good job. Uh, you can find me tweeting at the attachment. You can find me writing at e pluribus lunum. Um, definitely check out whenever that signing gets announced, plus about two hours. Um, I'm not going to spoil anything. I'm just going to say that I did a load of uh, YouTube research for this, and I found some fantastic gems. You can find me at LockstockSpock. You can find our producer, Nick Rodriguez, at Nick Rodriguez on Twitter. And you can find this podcast on fine podcast providers everywhere. Um, hopefully more soon. But um, ask your friends to listen to us. We always like having new listeners. And with that, we'll bid you adieu for another seven days. Goodbye, everyone. Goodbye.